Hello, 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 and welcome back to an all-new episode of The Darius Show. For today's episode, we're going to be diving into one of my favorite animated series I've ever seen. Dare I say one of my favorite shows just in general, animated or live action. And that is Gendy Torakovsky's Primal. Season 2 just finished. I watched it on HBO Max, and I had an amazing time watching it. Season 1 caught my attention a couple years ago, and Season 2 managed to knock it right out of the park. So, without any further ado, let's go ahead and roll the intro and dive right into it. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. If you aren't already familiar with Gendy Torakovsky's work, he is responsible. He's the creator of Samurai Jack and Symbiotic Titan. These series both meant a lot to me growing up. I remember watching Samurai Jack for the first time when I was, I don't know, probably 8 to 10 years old, something like that. And it was one of the first times I had watched something that felt like it was more than just a cartoon series put in front of me for my enjoyment or entertainment. It felt like I was actually... It felt like I was witnessing an elevation of the genre for one of the first times, especially, you know, growing up watching Cartoon Network, Disney Channel. This was something totally different. And similarly, when Symbiotic Titan came out, I was probably a young teenager at the time. And I remember having a similar sense that this is a a couple steps above everything else that's happening on children's television at this point. So I was super excited to dive into his third project, at least that I'm familiar with, Primal. Now, this series definitely caught me off guard. When season one came out a few years ago, I definitely wasn't expecting it. I just happened upon it while scrolling through HBO one day, and it absolutely floored me. Uh, The viewing experience of season one for Primal is something I won't forget because it's so interesting. Episode by episode, you're getting a small glimpse of the overall world. You know, you're exploring this prehistoric landscape through the lens of your characters, and everything feels like a mystery. You know, this show does a really good job of displaying realism, I think, Uh, even though obviously we're dealing with situations that we can't possibly relate to right now. um, In their fight scenes, in the choreography, and in the landscape, there seems to be a strong attention to detail for those things. But at the same time, especially season two, does not let you forget that this is like a fantasy series. This is a fictional world. Uh, Obviously, dinosaurs and full human societies were not uh, interacting with each other at the same time as this series would make the case for. So you do have to have a little bit of suspension of disbelief, but if you can get on board the murkiness of the timeline of how this series would take place, other than that, for the most part, of course, we're going to get into the very big sci-fi thing that happens at the end of the season here. But other than that, this feels like a very realistic short show to really drop into. Season two of the series peeled back the curtain so much, and we got to really explore the parameters of the world that our characters interact with. Our main characters are Spear and Fang, of course, the caveman who loses his family to a terrible dinosaur incident, and a T-Rex who loses her family to the same dinosaur. They band together in season one to defeat this dinosaur and then continue to go on adventures for each other and become a found family of sorts. So those characters in this season, they really get put through the ringer, and we really get to see the parameters of this world in a lot of different ways. We got introduced to like a number of different cultures and societies depicted here. All, we got Vikings, we have Mayans, and we have multiple things in between that I'm not going to attempt to identify myself. I am not as cultured as I might come across. But 
exploring this world through their lens is only so fun. They're very simple in their depictions, even though emotionally they're able to connect in a more profound way than any other character we're introduced to in the series. They're, the way that their brains work and the way that they process the world is fairly black and white for uh, Fang and Spear. And so seeing them introduce these crazy societies and just how quickly they accept and adapt and just move forward from all that is uh, a super interesting vehicle to explore this story and this narrative. One thing I haven't talked about yet is that this series uh, has no dialogue. It never has had any dialogue. I suppose in this in this season, we are exposed to some dialogue through foreign language, but because they don't provide any sub- subtitles for this language, you're still, you know, it doesn't count. It doesn't really act as dialogue for the viewer. As far as your viewing experience, this is just another sound effect to convey what's happening on screen. I'm not really familiar with any other series that has such a strong narrative base without dialogue. I've certainly seen works of fiction that were presented to me without dialogue. Like I've seen that in smaller bite pieces before, but a fully fleshed out series with actual characters and character dynamics, narratives, geographical changes, like, you know, this is a fully fledged out story without any dialogue. And there are a couple exceptions to the dialogue, as I mentioned before, and another one that we'll get into when we talk more about the episodes. But uh, I just think it's really impressive that the series uh, really succeeds in its conceit at displaying this complex narrative without any dialogue whatsoever. It's You would think that that would be uninteresting, uh, just you know, watching an orchestra kind of narrate a story and just hearing the sound effects of the different animals and people that interact. But it is far from that. It is absolutely captivating. Every second that this series is on screen, I feel like my eyes are just glued onto that screen. I suppose not having the dialogue actually aids the viewing experience because you have to pay close attention. You have to pick up on the nuances or else you'll miss out totally on the story. So in a way, it's actually a really impressive tool to get your audience to drop in, to really... uh, anchor into the atmosphere and you know any good piece of fantasy content is doing that uh, effectively they really allow you to escape into the world and experience it through their lens with a show like primal something that does refer to the concept of what your primal ability is you know when you're pushed to your fight or flight you know what it, what is that that comes out having the no dialogue really helps you drop into the crazy scary world that is there Okay, that's enough about all that. Let's actually drop into what this season, season two, uh, has to offer. I'm pretty sure that this is the finale of the full series. They certainly could continue within this universe if they chose to. That being said, my interpretation of how they delivered the final scene of the series, I do think that the story has come to a close. How I feel about that, I'll touch on the very end. I have a lot of mixed emotions. But for now, let's talk about the journey that the characters go on in this series. One thing I appreciate is that from the get-go in season two, they firmly established that, you know, they're picking up right where they left off in season one, just continuing Fang and Spears' uh, adventures together, but they're not letting you forget that they are family at this point, and that is underscored throughout this season. The bond that this T-Rex and this human share is is as thick as blood uh, as presented in this series. It's fun to see all the different, especially when we start seeing a lot more human characters on the globetrotting adventure we go on later in the season, to get their reactions to seeing these people work together, even seeing other animals' reactions to see them working together is always hilarious. It's such a funny group dynamic, but their bond, it reads so strongly through the screen, and I buy it so much, and I love them as a duo. The 
the animation, the fight choreography that happens for all the battles in the series is really top notch. I could really spend an hour talking about each episode if I were to dive in and just look at the different artistic lens that's being presented for the choreography of whichever scene they're currently in. Every time they manage to have such a compelling fight sequence and, and you know, they push our characters further and further and you see them overcome their battles in a artistic and unique way. Something that comes to mind, I can't remember exactly what episode it was about, probably three to five episode range uh, when they're traveling on a boat overnight together uh, for the first time and seeing the the way that the the ocean floor mirrored this the night sky there was definitely some extra artistic um, lens being put into that scene but it was one that really stuck with me it was such a striking scene that I really just cut through the plot for this season really starts happening about halfway through, and that is an episode when Fang gets to meet another dinosaur, seemingly with a similar temperament to hers that she's able to connect with, and this becomes her boo-thang for a couple days. Uh, they actually end up having sex, which we later on get the reveal that they have babies together. Uh, this is after his passing, of course, which happens during that same episode when the plot really starts up. But we, it's strongly implied that this is, uh, he is the father of the dino babies because one looks like him and the other one looks like her, uh, at least of the two surviving ones that we have. Uh, that was cool to see the T-Rex character have a scene that wasn't directly involving Spear. Obviously, we've seen them interact and we get a lot of that, but that's honestly the only interaction we've seen from the dinosaur. We get other moments with Spear to see him reacting to other humanoids around, even in season one. But seeing her have her independent exchange is just a really unique experience. And getting treated to that was really nice. It was cute to see them bond and fall in love with the little dinos the way they did. It's in the same episode that Spear starts to interact with humans as well. So it's a it's an episode for both of them to kind of reconnect with their own kind. And for him, those are this group of, I believe, Vikings. They all have orange hair and they seem to be Viking-esque characters. Uh, that was definitely interesting. It was a slow burn to watch him slowly open up to them and not see them as immediate threats. The way that that was played out was just super entertaining. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, mainly because as far as uh, societies, unless I'm forgetting something in season one, I think this is the first time we're introduced to like a large group of humanoids in this world that have a culture, that have you know a way of dressing and a way of speaking. You know, uh, it was the first major implication that there is society that runs this deep. This is the episode that I think sets up the thesis statement on how the series ends. Like I said, this is where the plot, the major plot beats really start picking up in the season. And the reason I think that this happens is because both Fang and Spear don't get what they kind of came there for. They thought that they would find comfort in their own species. But because those things clash and there is their bond at the middle of it, uh, they basically aren't able to go back to their other species. The, uh, the way that the show sets it up is this is a turning point where, you know, Fang's new dinosaur lover wants to attack all the village people that Spear has now found comfort in. And Spear is not going to let a, a raging dinosaur come and attack all these people. Even though they're not his people, he's just not going to let that happen. So that's where the clash comes in. So the dinosaur either has to make a compromise, you know, Fang and Spear have to make a compromise with each other. The, the ensuing battle ends up killing many of the humans' lives, and it ends up taking out Fang's new lover's life as well. Fang and Spear, they, they realize that there's no place for them to stay together within other people's culture, and so they both just reside themselves as black sheep to keep wandering off in the distance alone. It's very tragic, 
it's interesting that they fa- it's such a strong uh, emotional implication that they found each other, a found family story within each other. But uh, in doing that, they you know if they were separate and they had come across you know the dinosaur lover and if if spear came across this Viking group, I think that they could have found beautiful families with each other separately. But because they're together, uh, it cannot coexist. I quote that as the thesis statement of the series for the two characters and that that's what they end up overcoming by the last episode. We see them encounter a different society that actually welcomes Fang as a dinosaur who can coexist in Fang's babies. That ends up being kind of the happy note at the end is that, you know, that does work out. There is a way, a found, a found home by the end of the series, seemingly for the characters, at least to some extent. And so I think that it goes full circle, set up with that conflict earlier on in that episode. There's another episode later on where we get Mira back, which is uh, Spears' old lover who got uh, captured and basically uh, sent into slave, the slave trade. Um, she is a welcome member to our squad. She rounds them out perfectly. And seeing the little slight romance between she and Spears is, is just so nice. Uh, she rounds out the group in a way that feels very upbeat, where you know her entering the narrative kind of turned a corner in terms of optimism for those characters albeit very brief considering what happens next, but uh, some light, some lightness into their dynamic was really nice. And her being a fully fledged member of the team for the rest of the season, you know, we get her point of view just as much as we do Fang and Spears, you know, uh, was a welcome addition. She really upped the group dynamic in a big way. So the big thing that happens in the later half in the latter half of episodes here is we get introduced to a crazy culture that's all about pillaging and taking captors and using them as weapons and using them as slaves. And uh, quickly, our team is they would never have been outdone if it wasn't for the character they introduced here, which was Colossus, I believe is what they referred to him as. This guy is a behemoth. He is literally, I mean, scaling wise, he's about three to four times the size of any other human character that we see in the series and he's got the strength to match it he in full function is a giant and he they use him to neutralize our main characters and get them captured to also be weapons just as he is we find out that he's a slave he's being used just as fang is used with her baby eggs at the time uh, as collateral to control fang as well as colossus and so as long as they do what they say their loved ones will still stay alive very simple situation, very cut and dry. And so we get treated to a couple episodes, like really, a few, uh, I think, two full episodes from the point of view of Spear, Fang, and Colossus just going out and just like absolutely destroying armies of people. They, I, I'm not really sure what the show is trying to say here in terms of like morality and how it's just like corroding their overall morals maybe getting some perspective on how they feel about taking other human lives. That isn't really touched on here. Of course, they don't want to be doing what they're doing, but mainly because it's painful and life-threatening and because they want to live their own lives. It doesn't seem at any point that there is a moral a moral imbalance for them or anything to overcome in that direction. Uh, seeing them go to war and just you know constantly taking arrows all up in their body, bleeding, dripping, it's crazy how much of superheroes Fang, Spear, and Colossus are. <laughs> Fang is such a cool character. The fact that he is shown to be able to keep up with a giant and a T-Rex and be just as threatening of a force on a battlefield as any of those numbers, taking on full sects of armies by themselves. It's very impressive. The power scaling that they give to these characters is really just off the charts. There's a lot that this narrative says about, you know, 
ha- having the will to fight. I feel like this little mini arc kind of in the middle of the series here is about inspire. how do you keep hope alive in a hopeless situation and you have to feel like inspired to fight. Uh, towards the end, Fang is finally able, excuse me, Spear is finally able to inspire Colossus to go fight for his daughter again. And working together, they manage to take out the queen and her army and get manage to get themselves to freedom. It's a very happy note. Uh, it definitely worked a lot for me when we got the flashback on Colossus's character and see how his daughter was taken and how he was so peaceful and gentle before that. And this woman taking his daughter from him turned him into that monster. Very compelling stuff. I mean, uh, I fell in love with this character. <laughs> so one thing I didn't talk about yet, because I'm trying to keep this steady, but I ended up going a little bit out of order here, is these two Viking characters that are also introduced early on in the series. Essentially, they are the family of... they. they their loved ones were killed in the big conflict of, of Fang's, Fang and Spear's interaction with Fang's new lover with the dinosaur, killed a bunch of people. We talked about that. So... Their family members come back, this father and son duo, to see the dead bodies of their, all their families and loved ones. They know enough to see who was the one responsible for it. And now they focus all their anger on exacting revenge on Fang and Spear. These characters, I mean, this show just continues to surprise me. Every episode that happened this season, I had the reaction, wow, I can't believe they just did that. How are they going to get better? And every week, Every single week, they managed to do exactly that. They upped it and then kept going past that. In this episode, seeing seeing their origin story just, you know, it mirrors the, our character's origin story so much. If you go back to season one, we're introduced to Spear exactly at the moment at his parent, at his entire family being uh, decimated. That's the same way that we're introduced to Fang. We see her loved ones being killed right in front of her eyes. They are getting the exact same origin story as our characters. And it flips. It makes the audience really wonder, are our characters even good guys? I mean, realistically, they're responsible for hundreds and hundreds of deaths of humans uh, in this series. So morally speaking, I don't know that our characters are good. They seem always well-intended, but the, the trail of damage that they leave behind them is truly terrifying and i don't i'm not sure what that speaks for their overall moral moral scaling you know what i mean even though they're presented as heroes to us i'm not convinced that they're doing that much good in the narrative except for keeping each other alive the moment where this father and son viking duo first tries to exact their revenge on our duo as well was great the they had a battle between two ships along a river uh, resulting in a huge waterfall at the end the choreography for the scene, again, was off the charts. There's so much moving pieces. There's the two individuals who want Fear and Spang... De- uh, Fear... <sighs> this is getting tough. Fang and Spear dead. They want them dead. Fang and Spear are just trying to defend themselves, but really, Fang is only concerned about defending her eggs. Spear, on the other hand, wants to protect everybody. And, of course, they have Mira, who wants to help everyone as well, but is in the middle of sailing the ship. So there's a lot of moving pieces happening, and the way that they played with the different points of view, the shift in directions, the way that the fight would go up and down in terms of who has the advantage, such a fun fight. This was a highlight for me, and it was so nice to see an even match for Fang and Spear. They overcome crazy threats in the past, armies of different animals, winged beasts, whatever you want to say, and they always come out on top. But then seeing this father and son match them in skill, match them in brute, match them in 
desperation and grit. It was it was great to see and introducing different types of weapons. We get a lot of bow and arrow shots in this season and different like shields and swords and everything. It was super fun. It upped the entertainment value of this tenfold. Of course, this is what leads to the craziest sci-fi thing this show has ever done. Like I said before, this has been a relatively grounded series other than their just timeline. Of course, it's maybe a little bit ridiculous to think that a T-Rex and a human can be friends, but overall, the world does feel very grounded. But this episode really just goes goes and throws that right out the window. So the father and son are fighting very valiantly, and the father, you know, fights within an inch of his life, but then the, the final straw that breaks the camel's back is seeing his own son plummeting to his own death uh, right in front of him. This, and the father is essentially dead, and at this, at this point, this is where I'm going to need some help interpreting this, because from what I can tell, Satan himself takes this man because he is filled with so much resentment and grief and pain and vengeance lust i suppose satan himself brings him down to the doors of hell and grants him the opportunity to go and kill spear and fang i don't know what this devilish character would be motivated by this is where i get really confused because when he's easily defeated and Defeated is a loose term for the way that they dispose of this creature later on it really makes you wonder and like when he takes him right back to hell, what is the demon's motivation in all this? But anyways, this demon gives him the abilities to become a crazy hell monster to go seek after his threat. And this guy becomes a walking zombie of fire and molten lava. Uh, he literally is walking across the ocean barefoot just on top of the ocean to go meet his enemies. And... What's int- I really like how they use him as a looming threat for those last three episodes. Our characters are still in the midst of their slave situation, trying to break three from those chains. And all the while, we, we know that he is on a one-way track to our main characters to try to go kill them. So as far as building tension and anticipation for that final fight, uh, that, w- that was really well executed. I could not wait to see how they were going to introduce this threat and how our characters were going to interact with it. That being said, when he is introduced, I feel like this is the one thing that the series uh, fumbled on. What it really feels like to me was that there was a whole other episode here in the finale to flesh things out a little bit more that we missed. So what actually happens is this fire beast creature ends up finding Fang and Spear as soon as they reconnect Mira with her new tri- with her old tribe. Uh, this new tribe is very welcoming the Fang and Spear. It seems like this is going to be their new home, perhaps. They're already learning their pr- traditions. They they don't mind that Spear's around. It's, it's, all, it's all sunshine and roses, right? Of course, they do make it a point to show that, you know, Fang, he doesn't feel like he, excuse me, Spear doesn't feel like he can really connect with this culture. He still feels like a black sheep for everything that he's lost, right? Uh, what we really get is a touching moment of him that night after he uh, removes himself from the oh, the party situation and all the villagers. He he cave, he does some cave paintings, which they, they actually foreshadowed this in the first episode of the season. I don't know if this is the cave that he's from. It kind of seems like it implies that it is, but he's admiring some cave paintings, seemingly uh, consuming the stories that are on those walls, right? Whether or not it's his home originally, it doesn't really affect the payoff of this moment, but I like to think that it is his original home. His flashback in this episode, when you see him as a kid, definitely made it seem like that was his cave. But anyways, I digress. On the wall, he tells his story, the story that we saw, that he had this great family that were eaten alive by this dinosaur, and now he's 
been roaming off alone with this new friendly dinosaur ever since and he just feels really alone that's what seems to be the story painted on the wall in my interpretation and mira seeing this it's really a heartbreaking scene to her and it's a testament to the emotional complexity of of spear he doesn't have developed language he doesn't have the ability to communicate like a lot of the other humanoids uh do that we see in the series but that doesn't mean he's not capable of uh, grasping the emotional nuance of all the situations around him. He doesn't miss a beat, even though he seems like he's a lot stupider than everyone, a lot more stupid than everyone around him. He uh, is right there with everyone, and he, he's a shining example of it to, at that. So that's when our fiery beast creature shows up for it to finally exact his vengeance. And he just shows up. It's immediately a problem. He What, what they show early on is him, you know, He's able to scale this mountain by turning his body into a snake and then immediately morphing it back into this humanoid form. The watching that was amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, what is this threat? Like what seeing, you know, I wish that they played with that a lot more because what happens after that, essentially he, you know, throws fire on Fang. Spear gets really upset. I mean, there's a moment where you see him truly snap in a much more aggressive way than we've ever seen him do because that is his family. He tackles the beast down this mountain, manages to gain control while fighting, while falling down, and essentially takes him and the beast out with him. The second the beast hits the floor, it's just assumed that he's defeated, and he's he's chanceled right back down to hell. He's just dragged immediately back down to hell, and then that's that. And and you know you know let's just talk about how the finale is from here, and then I'll talk about my critiques and what I think they should have done differently. Uh, he pretty much dies. I mean he manages to barely survive the night essentially he's we see a blistered version of Fa- of spear that we've never seen before he is barely recognizable and the heartbreak on all the character around characters around them him's faces is really tells you everything you need to know about the situation it is fatal of course mira takes this moment to look at the cave paintings one more time see that he lost his family and you know, delivering true on that one theme in that final moment, she essentially has sex with him right then and there on his deathbed when he can barely even breathe at this point, uh, takes his nut and then gets pregnant with him. And then we see in a bit of a foreshadow uh, epilogue at the end there that they did end up having a child. I thought that this was a super fo- profound moment. This as the final moment of the series, I'm, I'm totally okay with. Of course, I want my boy Spear to live, but the the compelling emotion behind this final moment you know maybe he doesn't get to live his great life but that final moment knowing that he was able to kind of birth new life and kind of keep his family you know some version of himself alive within the world i think was a really beautiful moment to end him on this character is a tragedy uh spear has only known tragedy that's pretty much all he's done he's just constantly fought for his life and hasn't really been able to do anything except for confide in a few people close to him and you know, this isn't the best ending that could have happened for him, but it's probably the only one. I think he was always meant to die a warrior. So I'm really okay with him passing off like that. And again, profound way to kind of end on a happy note is to focus on the new life that they made together in their child. But the fight, the final confrontation with the fire beast is so lame. It's literally the least interesting fight that we've had in the entire series. I will take the opening fight with fang and spear against the dinosaur and the pilot of this series over this any day they they spent so much anticipation we have seen this character over the course of six episodes this fire beast character plotting his revenge coming for the big old fight right and the fight's over in like 30 seconds it's literally one chase scene up a mountain it's one interaction 
one tackle, fall down a cliff, they're just both dead, and that's it. I really feel like, as an audience of the series, something that's built on such compelling choreography of fights that we deserve better here. I think this was this is the penultimate battle. It's the one, you know, again, I said that Spear, it's perfect for him to go out fighting like a warrior, but this was the opportunity to really show us how effective Fang and Spear are together as a fighting duo. And he could still reach the same fate, but have it be much more of an impressive battle for everything we've seen this man pull off for his final act of hero- heroism to be just tackling this beast down a mountain. It wasn't enough for me. I, I just really felt shortchanged. I was anticipating this fight so long. And because they made me, you know, like I said, it was very effective uh, tension and anticipation build. But getting me there, I was really disappointed in that final fight. That being said, that is really the only disappointment I can say about this series. From episode one to the final moment, I did feel lackluster in that final interaction, but in the final antagonist interaction, the final moments of the series end on such a strong note that I'm kind of okay with that. Now, what would this series need to be different in order to not feel that lack of catharsis? You need another episode because I don't know. I realistically, they probably just ran out of time. I'm sure that there's a full battle scene that had that exists out there that they just had to cut down. I, I I believe this because you know in this episode, I would would I have traded the small moments of exploring this culture for a few moments and seeing him relax and see this culture with Mira and everything? Would I have traded that for more action, perhaps? But I do think it's a vital part of what this story is trying to tell. There's not a moment, even though there's a lot of slower moments within the series, there's not a moment that I would give up. It all feels very necessary to get you to the emotional place you need to be at. Now, if they did have another episode, here's how I would have changed things up a little bit. In the When our characters break free of their slave situation, they're finally freed people, and we see, we see Colossus on one boat, and they're on another boat, they smile at each other, you know, they work together, they did their thing, camaraderie. Hurrah, and they go their separate ways. Now, what I would have liked in this moment is this is when the fire guy shows up. As soon as we're done dealing with Colossus and he's going his own way with his own people, I think the fire guy should have shut it right then and there to attack Fang and Spear and kill Colossus in the meantime. Maybe Colossus tries to defend them for one second, and then the fire guy just like absolutely destroys him. Our characters could still have gotten away in that situation and set up a final battle still for later. But seeing him destroy Colossus in that moment would have been such an effective way to establish his actual strength and to show off some of those crazy moves they were doing when he first showed up, turning into a big snake and doing all that type of things. This would have been such an excellent opportunity to showcase that. And Colossus is like the coolest guy out here. Like we, He's able to defeat our main characters by himself. Seeing the fire guy defeat him would have been an excellent way to really establish him as our final threat. Of course, we would still need to see a kick-ass battle sequence for them for it, for it to really knock out of the park for me, but that's what I would have done a little bit differently. The final episode actually opens to a flashback scene of kind of uh, Spears' formative moment for the character that we know today, and it's an interaction with some uh, silver-toothed tigers, I want to say. That's probably the name, right? Uh, they are ganging up on him and his father. His father is fighting valiantly to protect him. We see where he gets his moves from, but overall gets overwhelmed and ripped to shreds right in front of Spear's life. This is where we see him kick into absolute rage mode, perhaps for the first time, and he single-handedly kills all of the tigers. It is worth noting that the first one that he kills is by accident with a spear. 
he didn't mean to do it necessarily. He was trying to run away, but technically the first death that he kind of caused was with a spear, very fitting for his name. I do think that this scene was super effective and seeing the scene open with this, I kind of figured that we were going to get a tragic fate with our main character. Uh, the second I saw it open like that, I was like, yeah, he might be dust for this one. Another episode I haven't dived into at all because it doesn't really follow the narrative of the season. It's a, it's a palate cleanser right in the middle of the season of the season. And that is, oh, why it's called primal theory, I believe, but it takes place like in, Jar- in Charles Darwin time and it follows Charles Darwin, at least someone implied to be, as they discuss evolution and some of their theories that they've collected. These are clearly a group of scholars. They're all dressed in a very fancy outfit, whatever, whatever. Now, this episode had a lot of dialogue in it. This is like a complete outlier to the series in every regard. Even though there was it was such a dialogue-heavy episode, it still felt like Primal. That's just it was the really impressive thing about it is the whole time you're watching it, it still feels like Primal, even though we're taking place thousands of years in a different age, and that there's heavy dialogue when that's never the case in the series. In this episode, there ends up being like an escaped convict who essentially is a beast-like character. This guy is as powerful as we see uh, Spear to be. And the whole time after seeing this episode, I was trying to figure out, is this somehow Spear? Was he like frozen alive and then fought out years later and turned into a crazy person, like experimented on or something? He seemingly has a similar build than Spear. Then when we saw Colossus, I was like, is this Colossus somehow later on in the future? I don't know. I'll leave the theory crafting to somebody else. But this, he's essentially a supernatural beast that is humanoid, but is like, super powered and very animal-like and just wants to kill everything in his path and so in this episode it's we are basically exploring the point of view of our scholars as they try to defend themselves against this beast the theory that charles darwin presents at the top of this episode is that uh even though humanity has evolved in such a way there is that primal sense in all of us that if pushed to a certain extent we will all snap and turn into a primal essentially you know that animal monkey brain inside of all of us Everyone scoffs at his theory early on, but as the episode makes a point to do, by the end of the episode, the only way that they manage to survive is by one of our main characters whose uh, point of view we follow uh, snaps into his primal state and ends up killing him to, for the W. This was definitely a really cool episode. I'm not giving it justice in discussing it this way at all. Uh, it was such a unique surprise to see this come in a show that usually takes place with dinosaurs and cavemen. Seeing this more prim and proper presentation of a of the same world was just super interesting uh it's one of the reasons why this series was such an amazing watch is because they always hit you with a big surprise you can't really guess what's happening the story just is unfolding you know this season two did a little bit more of creating an end goal for the characters slightly or at least the end expectation on what you expect for the end of the season but overall you're just experiencing this these situations along with the characters. It's really no guessing with the series, and that's one of the things that makes it special as well. Doing a little bit of research, it seems like there might be a potential future for the series. Uh, the creator has stated that he has an interest in doing an anthology version of Primal. I don't know if that necessarily means in the same age or, or what, but it seems like he wants to implement the same style of storytelling to f- stories in the future. So whatever comes out from Gendy Torikovsky next, I'm, I'm all here for it. If it's in this universe following things, uh, excuse me, Spears Child, who also is riding on one of those baby dinosaurs, super awesome, by the way, seeing, seeing that child, I would love to follow their adventures. 
I would love to follow a new series that just has a similar style in terms of storytelling and artistic direction. I'd 100% be down for it. Bringing this conversation to a close, the last thing I want to praise is the animation. Now, this is not the flashiest animation. It's it's really not. Uh, you know, if you go, put on any anime, I just reviewed Cyberpunk, and that series has a lot more slick animation, really quick, flashy animations. Uh, and that is impressive in its own regard, but this series doesn't go for the flashy animation. They go for simple character designs and through a very artistic lens. There are a number a number of scenes throughout the series that feel like a painting. Uh, they, they really take their time with giving you these still shots. I mean, you can screenshot this place all over the place and let it be any of your desktop, wallpapers, uh, screenshots, whatever. I mean, this play, this story is so beautiful, and a big reason why is not only the sound design, the character journeys, but intensely, it's the animation. And it is very simple on paper, but much like Samurai Jack, you know, there's just such an artistic direction to how they display their narratives that you can't help but, you know, calling it art. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm just a fool, but this play, this story has me wrapped around its finger. I think I've done everything I could to sing this sing this one's praises. If you made it this far, I really appreciate you listening. Primal Season 2 was a blast. This series is not one that I'll forget anytime soon. That being said, let me know what you thought. Let me know what you think about this review. Let me know what I should be doing next. I am almost at 50 episodes on this podcast. I believe this one is 48, so we're zeroing in on that 50 mark. So stay tuned for my special podcast, Episode 50. It's going to be something not to miss. But yeah, for now, that's it. My name is Darius. Peace out, guys. I love you.